Okay, people. So, Echoes from the Void is back. Yeah, that's right, baby. We are back. And um, my girl AJ hit me up, right? She was just like, yo, I've got someone perfect for you to speak with. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, this new show, right? So, we look at Play It By Ear. And we speak to the incredible Emily and Zisco. So, people, buckle up. Let's go. <clears throat> All right, people. So, the first three episodes of Play It By Ear are currently live on YouTube. And so, we took a look at them. Let's take, let's get into it, right? Let's get into it. Okay, people, so play it by ear. It's a new web series. And, um, yo, AJ brought it to me, right? Hit me up and was like, yo, you should give this a look. So that's what I did, people. It's six episodes, right, with the first three episodes already up on the YouTube channel. And the remaining three about to drop any time now, I believe. The uh, series is created by Emily Ann Zisco and Simon Kintz Kincaid, right? They both uh, directed it and both co-wrote it along with Brian Riley and Dylan Bentledge, who both did an episode each. The series is produced by um, Dylan Bentledge, Brian Riley, Simon Kent Kincaid, Emily Anzisco, and Virginia Blatter. Ingrid Sanchez is on cinematography. Brian Riley edits. Maria Marchant, uh, production design, set decoration, we have Bunny Malongu and Lindy Van der Muur. Right. Uh, makeup is Dominika Zawada and our cast. Well, we have got Miller, played by Emily Anzisco. We've got Lucas, played by Dylan Bentelidge. Uh, there's Miller's best friend, Sammy, played by Inoza Ogbedi. Um, Miller's mother, who is played by Nevada Gray. Her dad, who's played by Michael Minnis. Um, there's Lucas's mother, played by Germaine Goudet. Um, I believe his dad, Martinge, is played by Didier Zillinger-Molenzar. There's Ridley, played by Elise Rose Martin. Fenner, played by Natasia Firestone. Um, there's Joan, played by Jordan Van Cleef. Uh, Barry, 
played by Danny Abrahams. He's assistant, played by Jack Spillman. The vape shop clerk, played by Brian Riley. Um, doo -doo -doo. Oh, actually, Lucas's dad is played by Franz Bentledge. So, uh, yes, there we go. Now, the gist of the story, people, is this. Lucas, originally from the Netherlands, and Miller, born and raised in California, are college sweethearts, planning on moving in together after graduation. But when their careers force them to stay apart, they resolve to rise to the challenge of a long-distance relationship. Miller is accepted into a year-long screenwriter's program in Los Angeles, and Lucas moves across the world to work for a magazine in Amsterdam. For one year, they'll try to make things work, but cracks in their bond appear sooner than expected. All right, so, um, yeah, that's the thing, right? Long-term relationships. And I kind of feel with something like this... Everyone has probably experienced this to some degree, right? It might be, not be the other side of the world. It might be, you know, a different part of London, right? Or New York, or in a different state, part of the country. You know what I mean? There's these situations that come up. And... It's the coping mechanisms that we have to deal with them, right? Which are definitely addressed in episode one. Well, I say one aspect of that, right? And it's, you know what I mean? Because you'll be thinking about each other. So what do you do about that, right? When you're feeling a little hot and steamy. So that's what we get, right? There's a lot of dirty talk. Um which always just very problematic, right? Very problematic something. Now, I did think something was very, um, well, I think something came up in the, in the midst of the dirty talk, right? Which I thought was interesting. Because she says she's thin and he kind of stops and it's just like, yo, Right, which I thought was interesting. Right, it, it talks a lot about the dynamic there, but it's trying to make time for each other. And as mentioned, right, you can see there's cracks. Episode two, we, um, well, also in episode one, we also see other things that could create cracks, right. Episode two. So episode one is in September. Episode two, we jump back in time, right? It's June and they've just graduated. So they're just graduated and, you know, they're with friends and family celebrating. Right? All celebrating and, and talking about, like, the issues Right, what they're going to do, how they're going to move forward, just all of that kind of thing. So I thought that one, because mm, 
they're high school sweethearts, but we don't necessarily know at this point how long they've actually dated, right? Did they meet in the last year? Has it been from the beginning of school? Like what? We don't really know. But we know they've been together for a bit. Now, just in this episode, you wonder, <laughs> right? What from everything we see, we wonder about the notion of long distance, right? Can this couple even contemplate something like that? I think we definitely see these these moments that kind of um, speak about the way that they communicate, right? Which is brought up by Sammy, you know? And it is pointed out that, that they both have issues on that front. But I think one big thing as well, it's the... it's the whole thing about dreams, right? When one person has one sort of dream, now what are the expect what are the expectations that your partner throws themselves completely into what you want? Right? I think that was very telling in episode two. You know what I mean? Like, what do you do? What do you, what are you expecting the other person to do? You know, how much of their dreams are you factoring in? Is this all well and good? Going, we want to be together. We want to do all of this. This is the plan. Blah blah blah. But, and especially when they don't have a job to go to. You know, it's like, well. What do you want them to do, right? What do you think they'll do? You know what their interests are. You know what they they love and all of that kind of stuff. So what is that, right? What are you expecting from them? Also, you have family out there. They don't. So, yeah, I think that's interesting. And I think the responses are very telling, very telling. Episode three now, episode three is called Crush. I didn't really feel that was necessarily the right title for it, right? I feel um, something more along the lines of, like, temptation, right? or pull factors, you know what I mean, something else, because what we're seeing in this episode is, again, we've got this time issue, right, they're, they're not really making time for each other, or just calendars aren't aligning, but then they both got these things that could fracture everything right we're seeing from both points of views and I think it's played in a way where although it seems more apparent from one direction you can clearly see 
in the other one that it's exactly the same exactly the same so that's very interesting you know i think we get a good dynamic you know from uh, lucas and miller i think that and the situation i think it's pretty believable right i think emotionally they're giving us everything we need to buy into this you know, there's just a few things that sometimes, like um, Barry, Barry felt a little over the top. You know what I mean? That felt a little over the top. Um, and so did I think Martin is Lucas's boss in uh, Amsterdam. I think, and again, that was a little bit. You know, we didn't get that much, but to be fair, on both regards, we don't really get that those roles haven't really been fleshed out so far, right? We've only seen these characters briefly, so you know, I think over time, possibly that uh, that will have more life brought into it, and we will get more understanding about them. That at the moment, a little bit caricature-ish. Though, right, I think the Barry character, you can say, definitely points to be considered, right? And especially when you factor in, both, both Miller and Lucas have just graduated. They both graduated, so they're in jobs which they don't, necessarily have the skills for yet right it's it's developing your own voice developing styles right gaining experience to be able to write these things in a certain way so i think you can't have everything fall into place right even though it kind of has in a way right so I think that's all very interesting. I think I like the dynamic between Miller and Sammy. That works very well. And Lucas and um, I think it's Fenner who he's working with. So, you know, with her, right, those dynamics work, right? It's interesting to see the contrast between L.A. and Amsterdam. And... You are just kind of looking at all of this and thinking, what's going to happen with these two? Now, I definitely feel, right, it looks like it, there's only one way this is ever going to go, right? Now, maybe things do turn around because we've got three episodes left. Right, we got three episodes left, so it's definitely going to be interesting to see, you know, where they take this, what they decide to do with it. Because the way things are left in um, episode three, we have this word being said. Right now, we there's no context to that. It could mean anything, right? Could mean anything. Who knows what the rules? were when the long distance was formulated 
you know, maybe that plays into that. And we see that in episode four. Who knows? But yeah, things aren't necessarily looking good for this couple, but neither are great, right? Like, <laughs> that's the thing. We're seeing, you know, both acting poorly. You know what I mean? Both not making enough time, not really, you know, thinking about the other person's feelings. So I think it's handled well. You know, I think the way it's being cut together works, right? Like the running scene, the running and cycling scene, you know, that all... It worked to build that emotional impact. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, right? It will be interesting to see what happens because, you know, this it, it, it's going to be an anthology, right? So this is season one. Season two will follow another couple in different countries, so, you know, you know, there's definitely a lot to say about these things. So it will be interesting to see, you know, the subject explored, you know. And I think a web series is always a fun way to do this kind of thing. You know, we've seen different ones like Avocado Toast. Um, there's been others. My mind's gone blank, but there's been others, people. So, yeah, I think it's always a, an interesting way to go about a story. Because these episodes are mm, about 15 minutes. You know what I mean? It differs slightly with each one. And that's the, the great thing about it, right? That you can do whatever you want. You're not confined to, you know, this 30, 40, 50 minute slot. You decide how long you need to tell that story. So, yeah, I've been enjoying it so far. So uh, intrigued to see where we go with it. But people, play it by ear, you know, definitely worth a check. Okay, so episodes four, five and six... Don't drop until the 21st of June. But, yo, I've got a little peek at them. So I'm going to give you my impressions. Not going to tell you anything that happens. Just impressions, people. So let's get that popping. Okay, people. So, yo, I've got to give mad props to... AJ, right, the best PR person in the world, Brian, Emily, Dylan, and Simon, because I've just watched episode four, five, and six of Play It By Ear. Got early access, and yo, I really appreciate that. You know what I mean? But because they haven't dropped yet, right? Next week, people. So I'm not going to 
give you the in and outs, right? Like one to three. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to give you a kind of atmospheric, themic feel on this. So it's just going to be brief, but I'm just going to let you know you want to watch these episodes, right? You want to watch these episodes. You're not going to be disappointed. If you've really dug these first three episodes, and I'm sure you would have if you've watched them, right? If you haven't, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Go check them out, people. But yeah, if you enjoy those episodes, right? And you, and you know, you, sometimes we wonder, right? Is this the pinnacle? Is this as good as it gets? You know, how do we continue from here? You know, are they going to do the things we want them to do? Right? We wonder that. That's a natural thing, especially when you have like the split seasons. You know what I mean? Like it happens all the time. You get the first few episodes and you're like, oh, that was fire. And then the second half, mm, sometimes it's not as good, right? Or your anticipation for it doesn't match what you then watch, right? So it's not that it wasn't good. It's just you were hoping they were going to go this place or that place, and they just didn't, right? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a lot of ramble just to let you know, people, that this isn't a letdown. It's definitely not a letdown, right? We get that straight reaction to episode three, right? The way episode three ended, you're like, yo, what happens? Where are we going? And we get that. We get that. We also, you know, we, we get to see these other situations, you know? We, we flip around, obviously, but it's, it's really interesting what we do because we jump back in time and then we jump to normal, right? So we, we get to see this juxtaposition of emotions and everything, right? You're watching this. And I think the thing that really jumps out is the naivety of youth. You know what I mean? Or not even the naivety of youth, but it's just... When you haven't had a ton of experiences or you haven't experienced a certain thing like a long-term, long-distance relationship, there's a belief, right? There's an understanding, a, rom a romanticization of a thing, you know, because you watch all of these films, you know? And there's the great films, right? There's the incredible films, like the Before Trilogy, you know? In Search of a Midnight Kiss, right? Garden State, Eternal Sunshine, you know? There's these films that deal with relationships so well. But then you have the Hollywood stuff, right? Now, obviously, it's all Hollywood. But what I mean, the big studio stuff, right? The mainstream films, 
is it's usually the indie stuff that does it so well, right? Case in point, play it by ear, right? But when we see the mainstream stuff, you know, everything gets resolved, real world, tied in a bow. You know, there's an argument. It's everyone's now happy. You know what I mean? You you know the arcs. You know where it's all gonna go. So if you're watching things like that, your perception of what something would be can get warped. So I think with this, we're watching this couple, Lucas and Miller, right? And you can see that they they have this idea of what something should be, but they don't really have a clue, right? You have them arguing about things, and on one hand, it's just like, I'm not holding this against you, and then they the thing gets brought up, and it's just like, yo, clearly, <laughs> that's an issue, right? But no one wants to say it's an issue, you know? It, it's this interesting thing that we get to see this dichotomy of understandings and it's fascinating right it, it's tough in times to watch because I know you may remember arguments and situations that you've had that are similar so we're watching it all and it, it, it can get very tough but every moment it feels real right every moment it feels real so we see all of this with this exploration of relationships and sexuality right everything's there and the other fun thing is as we're watching these last three episodes right some of the things that get mentioned we then see that's that thing, that word, that situation get fleshed out, right? Which is fun, right? Is this fun? I'd be like, oh shit, I remember when they mentioned that in episode, you know, right? And we see all of that. So that's great. And the ending. Now, it's like trying to end something like this is going to be difficult, right? Because there's the idea of where this will go. Right, you're watching it from the beginning, you think, okay, I know where this is going, right? And then there's the, oh, let's shake it up, right? But you don't want to come off cliche, but then you don't want to come off unrealistic. So I was wondering, I was wondering, how will this go, right? And especially after the um, conversation with Emily, but people... People, 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 just to let you know, the ending is great. I was very happy with the way this all went down. I, I loved all of it. Loved all of it. Ah, you will not be disappointed. So people, 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 do yourself a favor and check out episode four, five and six. Because... Man, they nailed it. They nailed it. You know what I mean? Gotta give these motherfuckers their flowers, man. Everyone involved. As I said, listen, we got Emily and Zisco, Simon Kintz Kincaid, Dylan Bentledge, Brian Riley. Man, they 
did a superb job. And then all the cast, all the cast that did their thing as well, you know, because it's getting those emotions relayed, right? It, it, it's creating these scenes that are all believable, you know, putting the sound, right? Didn't know any of the songs that played, but all the songs felt like they fit, right? Everything felt good. Everything felt good. So, hey, play it by ear. This was great. Loved it. Can't wait for a season two. Okay, so follow them, bug them. We need to get season two done. And people, if you haven't already checked it out, I was able to have the pleasure of sitting down with Emily and um, it's a great conversation. So check that out. Check out, you know, the, the whole episodes, all the series, all the links on the website. People, enjoy. Okay. Peace. Okay, people. So now we've done that. It's probably time to talk to the director, the writer, producer, and one of the leading stars of the series. People, it's time for Emily and Zisco. Okay, people. So I am here with Emily and Zisco. Zisco, did I mm -hmm. pronounce that correctly? Yes. Boom. Good start. So Emily is writer, director, um, producer, and she's currently the star of Play It By Ear. Emily, thank you for stopping by. I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Ah, splendid. No, no, no. Listen, when AJ hits me up, I always listen because she always sends me great stuff. So, uh, yeah, I was happy to have you and check out the series so far. All right. So, um, yeah, play it by ear. How did this come about? Let's get into it. Yeah, well... I guess, do you want it all the way back from the impetus, the very beginning? Everything. Everything. Let's get the origin story out there. Sorry. Okay, so let's see. It was around 2020. Obviously, it, the pandemic had just kind of really hit in a big way. And um, so we were all stuck inside. And our co-producer and co-star, Dylan, Dylan Bentlage, he at the time was living and working in the film industry in Amsterdam. And so he and my partner, co-director, co-writer, Simon Keynes Kincaid, had previously collaborated on a few film projects. And they were kind of turning over what they could do next with our editor and co-producer, Brian Riley. Um, Dylan and Brian are friend, childhood friends from a long time, and they have a production company, Carrie and Twins Productions. So we were all kind of like throwing ideas around about what we wanted to do. And Dylan was feeling extremely lonely because he was in Amsterdam during this pandemic. His family wasn't there. No one he knew was there. He was just like so lonely. And he was just kind of thinking about relationships and how he just felt so separated from everyone he loved. And and from that, we kind of started thinking about long-term relationships and how cool it would be if we utilized this time when we were all stuck inside to 
make a story about a couple separated between Los Angeles, where Simon and I are located, and Amsterdam, where Dylan was located at the time. So that's a nine-hour time difference, though. So setting up those meetings was already a big, so stressful. And it was like, <laughs> it was hard. It was really, it was like being in a, we were in a long-distance relationship with Dylan and Brian, because Brian was in Massachusetts, Dylan was in Amsterdam. And ultimately, we came up with this idea for the series just basically by workshopping short film ideas. And Simon wrote a short film idea about um, a long distance couple trying to have phone sex, which of course is the basis for our first episode. And I remember I read an early draft of the script and I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. This is hilarious and interesting and funny and like sweet and sexy. And I just kind of, from that moment, something clicked in me because Simon and I, who are also partners, have been in a long-term relationship um, with dramatic consequences. And we, so I, like something just clicked in me and I was like, oh, I'm just going to write this whole series kind of pulling from what I know about relationships, what I feel about long distance, how I've kind of been, you know, um, like just questions of sexuality, long-term partnership, a growth change, all of these kind of ideas that were coming up and the characters just kind of came out of that. And Mila and Lucas, our two main characters, are really kind of amalgamations of, I think, myself and Dylan, who is, of course, Lucas in the series, just because, you know, we were writing it, we were so close to it. Well, it's really Dylan and Simon, I would say, an amalgamation of them both. And that's very interesting, too, to have that kind of personal aspect to the fictional which i think all writers and all creators do to some extent mm, so that was we, the oh, of the story. can i just cut in because it's something i was thinking about while mm. watching this is there a fear of putting too much of yourself into one of these things right because watching these characters and seeing the mistakes and just sometimes you know the the crazy off key things they might do right like when you're taking experiences and putting them into these type of things you know it could get a little raw right it, it could churn things up or even to people that those things were done to would be like yo wait what wait you did motherfucker you know what I mean it's just like all this stuff could come out so is that like was that a little thing you want to say Jimmy Cricket on the shoulder going Emily, is this a good idea? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely, yeah. I mean, I definitely am like blushing now just thinking about, um, yeah, just thinking about like kind of the positions I've written myself into. I really do think I wrote myself into a corner with this one because, you know, I I don't think that people are largely likable. I think they're complex and nuanced and put themselves in strange difficult positions and not everyone has their best face all the time mm. um and but to me as a, as a writer and as a creator that's something that I'm very interested in within character building and if that pulls from my own life if that pulls from what I know of human nature I would rather put myself as an actor in an uncomfortable situation than kind of I don't know theatric like make theatrical or maybe a little untrue um, 
a, a storyline just so that I can save face for myself. Yeah. I mean, I'm embarrassing. Yeah, I'm embarrassing. Like, who isn't? You know what I mean? Mm. Well, I think that's a big thing, right? And it's something that we people have tried to move away from with social media, where it's just like, I'm great. Look at me at the beach. Look at me at this place. Look at me here. And yeah. there's never the flip side of that. People don't want to put that kind of stuff out there. So I think people will assume everyone is up here right everyone is always on top form when it's just like some days you just feel shitty and sometimes even when you love someone right it's opening up right you you tell people so much stuff but it's just like I'm not gonna tell them that I can't tell them that or I feel uncomfortable with this thing so there's stuff that you hold back or you need to get to that place where you can fully expose yourself and sometimes that comes with age some that times that comes with just being with that person for a certain period of time but it's always interesting when these things ex get explored because it is a gray area you know what I mean oh no I totally agree and I think honestly like what we are trying to do with play by ear is make a kind of rom-com dramedy that is to some extent a little more grounded in how life really is. Life is a multitude of things. It's funny and sad and sweet and sexy and scary. And, and that was our ambition with the show too, is, is just being able to show a relationship not at its best, not at its like romanticized version, because that's, you know, it's a relationship. It's a tapestry of moments. Um, yeah, that's something that I was really proud of in the work. Mm. No, I, th I think you definitely, because I, I believe that you're a couple, right? And it's an issue that sometimes comes up for me watching stuff, because I'm just like, I do not believe that these people care about each other, right? I don't believe they're a family. I can't buy this situation. But with this, I believe that you're together, Miller and Lucas. I also believe that you're a mess. <laughs> I believe you're a freaking you. mess. <laughs> this, this is a stupid idea. I'm just like, yo, these cats ain't in the place for this. Yo, what are they <laughs> no, you're so right. I think that though making those mistakes is just like, you know, you they're your mistakes to make. I think that was, you know, I think in real in in relationships there are so there's and I think in healthy relationships too there is such a bandwidth to actually make mistakes with your partner mm. because you can kind of trust that like n no one mistake will break the bond that that's yeah. you know the and, and that's kind of what I what we wanted to play with within the series is the idea of like how how can you how can you mess up over and over and over and can you return to what it, when can you when does the mess ups become permanent you know mm, yes and i think you can see both people are in the wrong a lot of the time like both have made mistakes right neither is cleaning all of this and i think it's an interesting point that sammy points out right because i think in episode two and you're like oh you know, you know how how Lucas is get like 
understanding information and then she's like well yeah and I know how you are at relaying information so it's just like you both have these issues communicating certain things and I think that is very telling with all the events that we're seeing over the course of like these first three episodes like how much of that came easy in the writing and how much were you did you write something and be like hold on hold on hold on I'm not sure these people would actually talk like this or if we're saying that this couple is this they wouldn't interact like that on that thing yeah that's a really interesting question because the writing process itself uh I think was very specific to this project so Simon my partner and I co-writers we both kind of took um, we both kind of took turns with the laptop. Like we were writing on Google Docs so we could write at the same time because on right. yeah. um, the script software you can't write at the same time with the other person. So mm -hmm. we were both kind of drafting words at in tandem. And I think what that did for the body of the work is it really fleshed it out from both perspectives. Something that was important to us in the project was having a balanced perspective so that neither Lucas is the is the lead or Mila is the lead. It's their, it's, it's the pair of them that have kind of this joint um, main character, hero, heroine aspect to their to the story. Um, just because I think that sometimes in romantic storytelling we shift to one perspective to kind of create that like lover and beloved dynamic but mm. in, a, in a equal partnership that you know it flows both ways so in writing I think that something we were focused on was making sure that our characters were speaking to through subtext of course speaking to their their problems their problems within the relationship their deeper hang-ups these these kind of notes that have stuck for you know months and months and months years and years and years and um, in writing that, I think it was it was really interesting to be able to kind of think about like, okay, but he says this because because she has done this before, or in the past, this has been an issue for them, and so it's it's kind of shaping the way that she's thinking about this situation now, or or the the feelings that Mila is having going into this conversation. It was really almost like a like an acting workshop in the process of writing itself. Mm. Yes. I, I did think in episode two, when he's just like, you always do this. Well, that's very telling, right? Because it, it shows that this couple have been together and there's things that have happened, but it also shows the fragility of the situation and how perilous entering like a long-term situation is going to be for, with them because it's like if everything's gravy the past doesn't matter right you're not throwing out things like god damn it last week you did that thing and oh you always do this bit that doesn't matter you're not bringing that up that's not you know what I mean a tool of offense in an argument so it's some of the nuance in language has been really interesting to see. 
there's I think in the first and I don't know like this could just be me right but in the first episode when you're um doing your dirty talk which I will come back to as well <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you um you he's like oh tell me and you're like oh I'm all clean and thin and he's just like yo what and then you change and I'm just like yo that's interesting that you went there and then he stops it right so it was just these little things that I think tell you even more about a relationship than the 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 just two people interacting in the physical right like was that kind of a part of the process for you guys as well like adding in that nuance in the conversation and the word choice yes um so this is just a snapshot of this couple right the idea is that they've been together possibly all throughout college which is true of Simon and I we've been together now for almost nine years so like it's very interesting because you you recognize someone's quirks beyond just the beyond just the snapshot shot of what's going on. Every mm. conversation has several conversations before and after it. And so in writing that, something that we are trying to think about in terms of arcs, like show arcs, was not only just the main arc of our couple, but each of their individual journeys and each of their sub kind of subconscious journeys within that. I think for Mila, you have this larger arc of kind of the malaise of graduating college and not really knowing who you are or how to be or how to be a, a real adult in the world. Um, and just kind of the struggles of that finding purpose and finding identity and also kind of recognizing like, is this it? Is this all it is? And then what is it? Find Grappling for control within that. I think that's where her body issues come in. Um, and then for Lucas, alternatively, he's kind of like, he is on this adventure he's doing something new it's exciting and at the same time you know he's he's grappling with the fact that there really isn't he doesn't have a clear entry point into his dutch heritage he doesn't have a, a clear runway into being considered dutch though he is you know it, it's difficult for him to um become assimilated within the culture and also in his job, he struggles with this as well because he wants to bring, he says, you know, I want to bring my own unique perspective to it. And that's such a naive thing to say going mm. into the workforce. You know, you're going to be a cog in the machine for most of the time. You know, So it's like, it's kind of grappling with that expectation versus reality. And I think that's true for both of them, but in different ways. And for us as writers, that was important to get all of that kind of depth. Mm. Yes. I think the, the the thing with that statement as well, right, if you say that kind of thing when you're older, it's usually quantified by the thing, right? It's just like, you know, if I'm talking about, um, you know, going to a new organization, like, I might say things like, well, they're not great on accessibility. So I think I can bring my knowledge of that 
to this and really turn it around, right? You're not just going, I'm going to bring my unique vision to here. Because what is that? What's your unique vision? Like, And yeah. that's the thing. It's like, it's not fleshed out. And I think even in just that as a representation of the greater thing, you know, I don't think the idea of the long term is really fleshed out, right? The idea of moving to Amsterdam, you know, because Mila hasn't got a job. She hasn't got a visa, right? It's what does she want to do, right? What's her career goals? Your career goals are to go work in this magazine, be a journalist. What's her goals, right? So then when something, the thing comes up, Although a conversation, yeah, conversation should be had, though I kind of think you know the, the weaknesses that your partner might have, right? The insecurities your partner might have. So if they don't like talking about something until it's done, you would know that thing. So you kind of get why it wasn't. But you're not going to like shoot down an idea, like a dream type of thing so you just see all of these different things and how man how much conversation did these fools have you know what I mean like what's going on in their heads yeah. so it is very I think mean, it's it's well put together because you believe these are things right you believe that these dum-dums aren't thinking and they're just riding high on youth mm -hmm. and, and excitement right and that's the intriguing part of all of this story yeah I think that that was a big inspiration for us too just this idea of the world crashing down on you those expectations being in some regard flattened because because you realize that nothing is as it seems when you start to grow up you 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 start to realize that you can't just wing it you can't just you know you can't just kind of like um you can't just kind of move to amsterdam there are repercussions and expectations and and real consequences to decisions and i think that's interesting too because some something that is so true of like young love and youth and like like lusty new relationships is like you can do anything you want and it'll be fine and like then you know as you start to grow into your partnership more you're like okay like you know these have lasting repercussions that we'll hear for a long long time um yeah that's I, that's an interesting take um i'm glad you picked up on that because that's definitely something we were hoping for audiences to see mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just from the conversation they have in the, um, I think, in the laundry room or something at the party. And it's just like, oh, the things we'll do when we're in Amsterdam. And the things they list, right? You're just like, oh, they ain't thought about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. It's just a dream. <laughs> uh. It's, it, yeah, no, it, it's funny. It's funny. Like, how much, because you see, the, like, the Sammy character. So how much is, was thought of that character? Like, when you're building that character out, like, 
what was the idea? Was it to be a counterweight to Miller, right? To have that anchoring thought process or, you know, is it just a best friend and just certain things will come up? You know, I think that actually I'm so glad you asked about Sammy because I, I really think that they are such a touchstone for me to reality. Like Mila and Sammy, this is another relationship that goes back a long time. They've been friends for a very long time. So Sammy offers this perspective on Mila that I don't think even Lucas really has because it goes even further back. It goes, you know, there is there is almost a familiarity there that's familial. Um, and I think that Sammy, what Sam, Sammy offers to the story and in, in working with their character was trying to create this sense of someone who knows Mila, knows her patterns, knows what she's up to, but also can show us that this person who is pretty selfish, this person who's pretty self-centered, this person who doesn't ask their friend anything about them, really, the entire show, mm. isn't the best indication of who this person is. That, that Sammy is consistently kind of mad at Mila and ultimately, um, you know, calls Mila out is like, what is your deal? You know, we go out once and as soon as I turn around, you're flirting with somebody else. Like, aren't we supposed to be hanging out right now? And also, why are you like, what is going on with you? Mm. That kind of that kind of call out. When I wrote when we wrote that scene, that kind of call out was meant to serve this indication that Mila isn't her best self right now. Mila is not treating her best friend with the respect that they deserve. Um, that Sammy is, is hurt justifiably so by Mila's actions and that anyone would be, that, that these characters are acting very selfishly. It's a very selfish, it's a young adulthood is a very selfish time of life too. Um, and I think to some degree that's almost unavoidable but I think it it um, it serves to kind of investigate that too from someone else who's maybe not in that stage of life yet, or has maybe already gone through it and being like, "What are you doing? Why are you doing? Like, what what kind of decision making is this?" Um, and I think writing Sammy that was really that reality, that grounding, like you said, was really important. Mm. Yeah, I think that definitely comes across. And also, that's only something a real friend can be asking and saying, right? Yeah. So, again, like, just that tells you how well they must know each other, because that can be said, you know, and you see Sammy let certain things go and be like, okay, that's fine. But you can only do that if you're that close if you've known each other for that long so it's just interesting the way yeah that all has been playing out like with thinking about this show and when you were thinking about Lucas and Miller did you know how many supporting characters you wanted and was it Okay, so we'll have his boss and we'll have her boss and we'll have their parents and we'll have... But did you think to yourself, okay, what 
roles do we want these characters to play as devices and mechanisms for the story? Or did you just go, okay, how would a parent be? Or how would a best friend be? How would a boss be? You know what I mean? Like, what was the thinking in building these characters and fleshing them out? Well, I knew that we, we, during the writing process, we knew that we wanted it to be an intimate experience for sure. We didn't really want a ton of characters just because within the story arc itself, obviously every episode is, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. We can't be introducing all these new characters. Mm. And by each character, we wanted to let each character kind of develop in a way that was more intentional than just, oh, the best friend that props up the plot, right? And so specifically with like, for example, um, let's say uh, Fena's character. Fena is Lucas, the Lucas's sister's friend. So she's like, you know, a few degrees separated from him. But the idea was that, you know, Lucas and Fena always knew each other. They, you know, she's a couple of years older than, the, than him and has been in his life a long time, just as kind of a family friend, a close friend of his sister, someone who's been around. And I think within that, by saying that there is a deeper relationship here than just, oh, somebody you meet at a bar, we explore this idea that like, Fena could be someone, Fena could be, could be kind of, Lucas's partner if Lucas hadn't met Mila for example yeah. that she serves that kind of same that she is compatible to him in a lot of the same ways mm. yeah she's the cheese to his mouse kind of thing that little enticement that's there and it's like will the mouse take a bite what's gonna happen right and I think that 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 feeling that feeling of like oh this is like what could have been that's a very nostalgic feeling. That's a very romanticized feeling. And it's, again, a very selfish feeling to mm. look at someone and abstract them to what they could be in your life rather than who they are. And that was important to us, too, because we wanted to offer our supporting roles, our supporting characters, these autonomies within their own arc. And we really see how that kind of comes to play in the second part of the season. Right now, only the first three episodes are out, but the second three are coming on June 21st. And the second three really does really kind of flesh out more what are the consequences of abstracting someone to, to be what you need them to be rather mm. than who they actually are. Um, and I think that's true for, you know, we see that in the third episode with Sammy and Mila. We see that, we see the beginnings of Mila doing the same kind of thing to Ridley, um, and I think that teasing out that dynamic gives the supporting characters more space to play within themselves. Mm. Yes. No, it's definitely one of those things where you're intrigued to see where this can go. And also when you're dealing with that situation of if they were both together in one of these places, right? If they're both in LA, if they're both in Amsterdam, what would these situations be, right? But when you're separate and then there's this loneliness, 
then how does that change everything? How you see people, how you interact with a supposed friend who, when you're happy, they're just a friend. But then when you're lonely, it's just like, I mean, we do get on. <laughs> you in that top. Hmm. you know what I mean everything just changes and so that's really interesting and I think episode three really put the spotlight on that kind of thing yeah and I think too like I think our I think that our actors really took the script and ran with it as well as far as all this subtext goes um you know I I think that they just brought so much life to the characters in the sense that in the sense that they were willing to ask those questions like you're asking now, which is like, what is their story behind the series? What's going on with them before we start rolling? Here's what I think is going on. And I think they did such a lovely job with that. Mm. So what? how did you um, help people get into those mindsets? Do you give a back history? Do you give a playlist? Do you give kind of... Um, Oh, I can't think of the word. Examples. Yeah, simple word. Um, but when you're like, um, you know, okay, so you're like this person from this film or this TV show. That's what this character is in this context. Like, did you do those sort of things? Or is it just sitting down with people, having those conversations when the questions are asked? Yeah, I think going back to even the casting, um, we were really interested in um, finding people who brought something of themselves to the character because this is such a personal story. We wanted to be able to find, like, find actors that not only played the role, but understood the role maybe on, on and were able to bring some personal kind of personal um, feeling to the characters and, and, and their purpose. So with that in mind, we really looked in terms of like offering them backstory. We would, we had long discussions about what each character was to each person. So you know, Ridley, for example, who Ridley was to Mila before they see each other at the graduation party. Were they close friends? Did they have a class together and were kind of like, you know, flirty in the class? What was the vibe before we see them graduating, right, in episode two? And um, Elise Martin, who plays Ridley, she was really, she brought such an interesting solemnity to Ridley's character I had written we had written her as sort of this like LA cool girl just someone who Mila really wants to think she's so cool just just someone who's like you know pretty and nice and but also incredibly aloof and funny but and smart but like in an intimidating way that's a little like not cal never calculated, but always, um, always sort of performative to that degree that you can't really like penetrate exactly who they are. 
Mm. Um, I think there is something so um, seductive about a, a mystery. Everyone does, I think. Um, and and with that said, when when Elise read for the role and she started kind of playing with the character, she she was bringing so much backstory into like for example why Ridley is a little more aloof why she doesn't feel comfortable letting people see her true colors that maybe the extent to which Mila does see Ridley is as vulnerable as Ridley is willing to get with people and then the dynamic that that brings into a situation because when you have someone who is seeing like oh they're so aloof they're so impenetrable they're so indifferent versus someone else who is like this is as vulnerable as I can be to another human mm. being and them still seeing that kind of version of them it's a really interesting concordance of miscommunication misalignment um and so I I really I loved that that kind of um subversion that that Elise brought to the character I thought it was incredibly nuanced mm. And it and it works well, especially when you have a character that has issues with communication, right? Yeah. So if there's someone that can't open up fully, and you don't necessarily have the skills to open up fully, right? But you're with someone that kind of wants you to open up more but they don't even open up for like, it, it's like work trying to work all of this out. There's someone that obviously isn't trying to show their full self could be very appealing because it's just like when you're thinking, if you're thinking about, you know, a potential with that kind of person, it's just like, well, if they're not opening up and I don't have to open up, that could be great. I don't then have to reveal this side of me or open these wounds. So I think you're kind of seeing that as well. Well, for me anyway, but I might be wrong in saying that. Because I think that's the problem with watching this kind of stuff is you kind of look at past experiences or how you've grown in certain situations. And you'd be like, hmm, I think they're doing this or maybe they're doing that. But it's like possibly not even the intention of the the show or the scene at all you know yeah and I think too there's something like then there's also the the sexuality component of it within the story you know like like Mila's trying to explore her queerness and and what that looks like but I think that in doing so she projects a lot onto Ridley and mm. to some extent like Ridley is accept is receptive to it but our show does raise the question, like, what kind of what kind of integrity do you owe to someone when you engage in any kind of relationship with them? Not just sexual, but like romantic friendship, boss, employee, you know, all of these kind of different relationships. It's like, what kind of what kind of value do you put on display? Or what type, mm. what type of value do you want to bring anytime you connect with somebody else? And what does that do to the other person? Yes. I think um, uh, there's a great podcast called Sensational. And this point was made because I think 
Harry, I think, I believe it's Harry Styles has said that he's bi or fluid or something like that. But then someone pointed out that what well, he's only ever been in opposite sex relationships. So then the integrity of that statement is put out there, right? And that, and we see people do these things, you know what I mean? Be like, oh, I'm this because they know that a, a, a chunk of their fan base, that's going to work with those people, mm -hmm. right? But it might not be true. And I think people do that. They'll say certain things because they think, oh, that person will like this. Now, whether that statement is true, mm, that could be, uh, you know, so many different things. But it's like a, a lot of times, yeah, these things are said in relationships, as you said, regardless of the type of relationship, is you know that could further something, get you something, you know what I mean? And I think that's a really interesting thing to explore. Yeah, I mean, I think in the first episode too, you know, Mila is talking dirty to Lucas and she's talking about like, you know, a, a threesome fantasy, essentially. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, I think that the fetishization and sexualization of, of um, like, gay and lesbian love and, and sex is really, um, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been commodified. And it's commodified even within heterosexual relationships. And I think that that's interesting, too, because it brings in this dynamic of, like, why are you doing this? Is it performative? Is it a desire? Is it like, what is the reach here? Why are you doing this? And I think that for, you know, like, I, I think that it is a very kind of gray area to talk about being in a heterosexual relationship and exploring outside of that, entering into gay and queer spaces and what kind of privilege you bring into those spaces when you when you when you move beyond your heterosexuality while always retaining of course that that privileged stance of having some guy to return to mm. and you know yeah i i always find it interesting when like threesomes are brought up Right, because it's usually brought up by one person. And so the threesome is always fitting the dynamic that they prefer. Right, so it's never, let's bring a third person in to make us both happy and explore both of us. It's like, I like guys or I like girls, so let's bring another one of them into this and it's not like what would you want right it's just like well let's bring this thing in and this thing will enhance our relationship but really it's for me kind of thing and I think that like you don't often get a conversation around are we mixing this up are we doing girls boys like what are we doing here it's just like well we're doing this and that's all they do kind of thing yeah that's interesting I think that um 
I think that per that point, I think there's also kind of different power dynamics at play, like within the scene itself, something that I am kind of trying to explore with the Mila Lucas character is just kind of about sexual politics. Like, I think that, um, you know, for Mila being a queer questioning woman within a straight relationship puts her in this kind of bind where she's not quite sure to what extent she can explore her queerness Mm. to to what extent that's acceptable within the within the straight confines of her relationship and to what extent like like lucas is willing to participate is it only because there's this idealized version of a woman woman man threesome and like women on women sex is so sexualized mm. or is it because is it because he actually is as he says and wants to support her and wants to support her knowing these aspects of herself that are a little more foreign to her in actuality maybe not so much in desire and i think that like trying to negotiate that through like dirty talk is really for me as a writer and as a creator and as the actor in the scene it's really interesting to me to to suss out those things to try and push those boundaries in that way Mm, yes how was it writing that scene right like biz are you pulling from experience are you using language that you like or are you writing the language that you feel this character would like you know do you think okay I can't go as crazy as maybe I want to or do do because this is to air in this space like what was the kind of working of that kind of situation I mean my kind of energy going into writing that scene was if you're with a long-term partner and they're in Amsterdam and you're in Los Angeles you're gonna say what you want to say because you have to make that bridge. I feel like the, yeah. the bigger the distance, the more um, creative you can be with your language to build that bridge. And so um, writing that scene, that was definitely just like, it was what someone would say to someone else when they were trying to be hot, sexy, fun. And also when they were comfortable enough to say those things, to push those boundaries. I think that that's really interesting. And um, yeah, writing that scene, it was definitely like, again, blush. Um, (laughs) It was definitely like, you know, I'm just pulling from kind of just what I would want to see from a sex scene, what I would want to hear in a dirty talk session. And you know, I think that, I think that definitely does it, does it, again, doesn't expose a certain vulnerability in that scene that is a sex scene, even though it's not a sex scene in, in the sense that, you know, like we have like nipple pasties on and stickies and whatever and choreography, but rather yeah. it's a sex scene in the sense that like you are still making an intimate portrayal of sex yeah. and thinking sure. about sex. And, um, that was like that was a very vulnerable 
position to put myself in, but I am happy I did it. <laughs> and like, I mean, yeah, like, was it, you know, was uh, Dylan and I both were like a little kind of like, you know, fluttery on set and a little, um, a little red faced. But I think that again, it's just, it's, it is creating the work of exploring what sex is beyond just what we know it to be portrayed in, in film, which is the physical act. Um, but it's also the emotional act too. Mm. There, like I think both are really in tandem in this piece. Well, yeah, because I think, you know, you'd definitely be angry, right? If you found out Simon's having phone sex with someone, even if he hasn't had penetration, penetra penetrational, he hasn't had physical sex with someone. You know what I mean? It's just like just that emotional thing. That's like, yo, what the fuck, man? Yeah. You know I mean? if my that's... girl is like, oh, yeah, I've just been having phone sex. With... I'd be like, yo, what? No. no, 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 no. Yeah, that's I mean, yeah, it's the act. Like, I mean, I think even, you know, there's we talk about cheating in all different kinds of ways. There's like emotional and physical and verbal and there's all different kinds of ways mm. to cheat on your partner or to actually just kind of like trespass the boundary of trust between you. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's definitely uh, it was definitely a, a fun, interesting episode. As I see, yeah, I am just terrible at that. Like, you know, I, I, I think there was one time with one one girl, and she was just like, yeah, talk dirty. And I was just like, um, uh, I um, know. You're bad. You know what I mean? I mean? It's just like, I don't know what. And then I think I said something like, oh, yeah, you're a, you're a dirty wench. And it's just like, don't call me a wench. <laughs> I don't know what to say. You know what I mean? Like, no, I honestly, like, it's so much easier. It is so much easier to write like like phone sex than it is to say phone sex. <laughs> I think that's definitely true. I mean, I'm also yeah. like, I'm a cell phone baby. So like sexting for me was always like like text message sexting and like that's interesting too because then you know I'm very good at writing like horny text messages mm. but um you know it it is it's yeah when it comes to the, when it's game time it's much harder to to think creatively <laughs> and like <laughs> on the fly um yeah and so it was almost it was really nice to have a script and it was fun to kind of think about like what how again getting tripped up as soon as like the moment is lost and it's like uh, uh I don't I don't I forget I forget everything yeah. about sex I don't even know what I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, no, that was yeah, it, it was a well put together piece. I like that. <sighs> Thank it was you. Interesting. Yeah, we definitely wanted. I keep saying like we wanted to begin the story with a bang, literally, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or a pop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man, like when you know doing this and having all the actors and stuff involved, is was there like a, a kind of a fault that? how are we going to cope and deal with like anything that these things, these situations, these words might bring up? 
Because like if you've been in a long-term relationship and you got cheated on, right? You think you're over it and then suddenly you're playing this role and then all of those things might come flooding back and then you're asking someone be like, okay, see, and they're like, and you're like, Yo, what's wrong? And you're like, oh, nothing. Uh, uh, uh. And the, you know what I mean? People get in their heads or just dealing mm. with certain things. Like what kind of, how did you think about that aspect of this? Honestly, if anything, I think it added to the performance. Like, I think that we, like I was telling you, we, we had a ton of people on set who were in long-term relationships. So everybody had an emotional, <clears throat> excuse me, an emotional connection to what was happening on screen. And I think that, or playing out on set that day. Mm. And I think that that really kind of allowed us all to go deeper within the characters because we knew what it felt like to get that phone call or we knew what it felt like to like kind of realize somebody else is on your partner's radar or you know like or what it was like to have a terrible shitty no good day and not have anyone to turn to mm. and that and that feeling that emptiness brought out a lot in the characters and that's that's especially true in the latter half of the in the latter half of the season uh -huh. yeah no it's definitely going to be interesting to see where this goes like with the ending did you like think to yourself i don't know like you want to do something that hasn't been seen or like isn't predictable right like it's not just uh okay well this is gonna like we can see where this is going oh and it went to that place like how did you decide to end it and how over the course of this creation did that differ and change before the final boom this is what it is Mm, that's such a good question because that was so important to Simon and I while we were writing. We were like, okay, we're a rom-com. We know what the end of the rom-com looks like. Um, so how do we break from that? How do we break from that structure? And um, I think in doing so, we allowed ourselves to get a little silly with it. And then circled back to sincere with that certain absurdity in mind, because I think that, you know, without giving away too much, without giving away the ending, I think that sometimes something that film does is it's just ties it all up for us so that we can go home and be mm. happy. And that's, you know, and we, and we love that for our couple. Right. But that's like no conversation is and in life. No conversation is ever finished. No. And, um, so we tried to bring that energy into our last episode and our last episode, like, you know, there's a, just, it's a really, it's my favorite episode. Um, there's some fun bits shot in the Van Gogh museum, which is really exciting. Uh, um, and then, you know, it ends, ends like we began with a bang, only not <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different. <laughs> uh, no, the Van Gogh Museum is great. I, my ass got lost in that museum. It's oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, I remember 
I went, actually, Simon and I went after a period of long distance. He was in Australia and I was in London and for like six months. And then we met up in Amsterdam and um, like we went to the Van Gogh Museum. And I remember just it was such an opportunity for me. It was such a, it's such a beautifully curated museum and they tell such a story, you know, through this man's life, they weave such a narrative. And I, I like, you know, I was seeing my boyfriend for the first time in a long time. And I was just like, oh, this is bliss. This is, this is art. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think we had different experiences in that museum. Oh yeah. What was your, what was your experience in the Van Gogh Museum? Oh man. Like, well, I, just I, I just kind of figured out that the guy I was seeing at the time had basically poisoned me so we were then in this museum and then she just strands because I've got bad eyesight right so it's just I it, you know it's difficult seeing things and if we're somewhere and you step you know out of arm distance I will not know where the hell you are. So then she just disappears for like probably an hour. And then I finally stumble upon her and she's just like, then it turns out she knew where I was all the time and saw me looking for her. And so it was just like the really the, the beginning of the end. <laughs> oh my God, that's evil. That's so evil. Could you imagine like, like, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. That's... <laughs> <laughs> truly diabolical honestly <laughs> i can't imagine that seeing someone that you went with like being like oh where are they and like being like they'll figure it out or like mm. not right now oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's always like you learn from situations right and i kind of figured that like you have to go through all of those things to be in that great space and at the moment you know what I mean I'm with the right person so it's all like you know those sort of things that you can use those for comedy for writing so it's just like all right I've got experiences that's cool yeah yeah all we are <laughs> is just observing and rehashing right all we are is just telling stories about ourselves yeah it's just remembering it in the when it's happening to you yeah. <laughs> because that's not always the fun part no <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Uh. <laughs> oh dear. <sighs> With um, because you released the first three episodes a couple of weeks back. Mm -hmm. What was the thinking behind that? You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I've got to say, it's irritating as hell. Because you get to the end of episode three, and then it's just no four, five, and six. So, Emily, you need to answer for this. What's going on? <laughs> well, I'm glad. Um, I'm glad you're hooked. I'm glad we got you on the hook. Um, so, basically, you know, we have a web series, and it's released on YouTube for free. So, anyone can watch it, anyone in the world. And that was our ambition and our hope, um, because we wanted, we want people to see it. And... In terms of the releasing in batches, the the idea behind that was mostly just to get the first three episodes out, show this block of material, and hopefully allow people to like like binge just enough so they're hooked without like and, and so they'll come back for the next three. 
so that we can build our audience for the first three before we release the second three. And we didn't want to do like, you know, we're not HBO. So it's not like we can release an episode every Sunday and millions of people come and watch it, right? So we needed to, to strategically think about batching and how to garner enough attention through the batch, through mm. batching the works together. And we also felt like, you know, if we release episode one by itself, that's a lot to take in. But if you release episode one through three, it's like, oh, a little more backstory, a little more, um, a little more piece of the puzzle to, to kind of chew over a little more about these characters before then we start thinking about episodes four through six. And it's interesting to me to hear you talk about the episodes not knowing what happens in the latter part of the series because... Um, because you don't even know what's going to happen. You don't even, I know, you don't know. <laughs> and I tried to find out. You know what I mean? I've been trying to find out. I'm like, AJ, get me the other three episodes. And I don't have the other three episodes. I'm oh just like, gosh. I want to know. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, hope, I hope that's the case for everyone that watches it. I hope they're all like, what happens? What's, what's Zwangle? What is Zwangle? I, I know. That's the fit because, you know, like there's an assumption of what it could be, mm -hmm. right? But you never know, right? Because it's all dependent on what was said, right? What was said when they were after the rooftop, right? How they decided to do this thing, right? What were the ground rules put in place? Is Zengel a word to indicate something, right? You know what I mean? There's mm -hmm. so many things. And now that's going to be bugging me until episode four drops, Emily. So yeah. I hope you realize that my mental health is now impacted. Are you happy? Good. Yes, you I'm, I'm, I'm terrifically happy to hear right, that. That's great. That's great. I bro. hope, yeah. Send my know. therapist bill to you. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Like was um did you decide to do the batch before or after writing the episodes? Because it because it's like with episode three and the way it ends like that, which is perfect. Well, it's irritating, but it's perfect for this process. But was that the thinking in the writing? I mean, we just wanted each episode to kind of each episode sort of ends with a little like, oh, what's going to happen now? You know, that was the idea so that we can, again, indicate that this isn't just a short film or that these episodes, you know exactly where they're going. Um, and then when we didn't decide in the writing, we knew that that was how we wanted to end each episode with a little like, what's next? What now? But then in in post when we were looking at the episodes and, and how they were shaping out. It was just a clear delineation of before and after. And for us, that was like really, really interesting. Um, and, and yeah, it just kind of worked out. Uh -huh. Okay. Oh, that's cool. I think the behind the scenes stuff works very well to give people a bit more insight and that kind of thing. So when did you decide to do those little vignettes um yeah so we put those together 
like prior to our release is when we shot them. And the purpose behind them was really just to give people a better view at what was going on um, behind the scenes, as they say, but also just in our heads as writers, as actors, as directors, producing and producing also because, because we um, shot in these two locations. I think that people are just like naturally interested in, in the filmmaking process in that way, especially for indie film. Um, and yeah, I think that uh, we always knew because, because we are so grateful to our fan base and our audience base and the people that support us, we're just always trying to give them the scoop. Like, we just want to tell everybody about all the things that we've done just so that they can stay abreast on what this process was like, you know? Mm. And um, it's fun for everybody to, like, it's fun to rehash it. Like, this is such a joy, too, because just to get to talk about the complexities of what it was to make a work, that's why you make a work, you know? Um and yeah, I, I mean, thank you. I like them too. I think they're fun. <laughs> <laughs> what was the hardest part of the shoot? You know, having these two locations and oh, just yeah. logistically because, you know, there's location scouting and all of that kind of thing, which, you know, can be a pain. But if it's close by, you can do it. But when you have to do that kind of thing and it's in a different country, Right. So yeah. how did all of those things work out? Well, I actually I have a funny story about this. So um the hardest part was living in Los Angeles shooting in Amsterdam. We got into Amsterdam four days before we started shooting. So Simon and I were so jet lagged, like we like the zombie, zombie people. And we um and everyone was like kind of mad at us because we were there so close to the shoot and obviously like you you know you want to show up sooner but it's, it was just the confines of like jobs and and plane mm. tickets and everything and you know trying to schedule it all out and um and just allocate resources as best as we possibly could and so we got there and we had this big day. We had a huge day where we had to do a ton of scouts and it was starting at like eight in the morning. And so we take our bikes and we biked to the first location and we were locking up our bikes on the canal and Simon gets his keys stuck on his mitten and he just tosses his keys into the canal. And I'm like watching this happen like we're already late. We're zombie. We're zombified. We haven't eaten anything in a long time. Um, like the place that we are staying at didn't have like sheets or pillows. Um, oh. So it was just kind of like we were like rolling in, like shoot, <laughs> rolling. Um, and so um, yeah, when he and he throws his keys in in front of everyone, like in front of our producers, in front of our cinematographer, in front of our gaffer, like everyone just watches the director toss his keys into the canal. And I was just like, oh no. And luckily that was like, that was the low. That was the low. And then the shoot went fine. And everything was, and we got the keys back and stuff. And um, everything was totally fine. Except we, we didn't get those keys back. We had to go make copies and stuff. But it was, um, it was a fun way to begin the journey for sure. 
<laughs> well, I, I guess it's best for the, the, the crazy thing to happen at that point and not mid-shoot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was uh, uh, amazingly, amazingly, we were so, so lucky. And I really, I attribute this to how hard our crew worked. We had, you know, we had a scrappy crew of very few people and they were the hardest working bunch ever. Really, they committed so much to their work. And I think that the reason why we had such a kind of easy breezy, beautiful shoot is because they worked their asses off. And mm -hmm. like that commitment, you know, that commitment was just, it brought our project to the next level. And so I'm eternally grateful to them. Mm, yeah, working with the right people is yeah. just huge. Yeah. Huge. I've done like a big congress in Vancouver and the team the team we had was incredible. Like everyone would help each other out once their job's finished. We're up at silly o'clock in the morning, go to bed at silly o'clock at night. But mm -hmm. no one came with a bad attitude. Everyone was just working. And then I've done like roadshows around the UK and team not so good was even just so much of a headache doing that that it was going you know into the other part of the world to do work so it's just like yeah having the right people around you to do these projects is just priceless oh my god yeah I remember like attitudes dipped one day because it was raining and we had to change locations very quickly and like I just remember our AC blared from his van um pocket full of sunshine by natasha beddingfield <laughs> and simon and i just looked at each other and we were like we just started laughing and we were like it's all gonna work out it's all gonna be okay like tensions just immediately like disappeared and we went on to have a great rest of the day and that's so thank you natasha <laughs> <laughs> and does she get a credit <laughs> No, we can't afford her. We can't afford her. She's, she's not on our roster. <laughs> How did you put the team together? That's a good question. You know, honestly, like, it was, oh, gosh. We were just so lucky. Like, we were just the luckiest people in the world. Like, our, our cinematographer, Ingrid Sanchez, she works in Los Angeles, but she started she started her career working in lighting in Amsterdam. And so we found her through like Dylan's, someone Dylan knew um, from the company that he was working for as an editor. So he reached out to her and we were kind of like, this will be incredible. This would be, you know, we weren't expecting anything, honestly, because she was so um, incredibly talented. And we were like, we really didn't think that she would agree to our project and then she did and we were like <gasps> the door just kind of opened for us having an incredible cinematographer just really changed the game for our whole piece and and she brought on so much crew from people she knew in Amsterdam so wow. her previous mentor was was our gaffer and um you know like like then they brought their team on and she had an AC that she loved working with and and we loved him too and like it was it was just this beautiful kind of um, serendipitous um, kind of crew, mishmash of crew that was brought together. And 
and honestly, Ingrid Sanchez, she, she provided us with this team of really incredible, incredible people, um, incredible artists. And then, you know, in the LA team for the LA team, like our, you know, our production designer, Marie Marchand is a very good friend of mine. And we work together a lot. And in terms of our, our larger crew, Simon and I pulled from a lot of people that we know in the indie film space. And then we were lucky enough to kind of collaborate with a lot of local businesses for locations. And even, even you know, PA work, we, we went to our alma mater. We, we both went to Boston University. And so BULA set us up. They were like, oh, do you need a PA? Like, here you go. And we got like a couple PAs from right. BULA where we also shot. So it was just this really beautiful, like, it, it was honestly like, it's incredible. It's incredible how much people are willing to give when you just ask them. Mm. And, and we had Ingrid again on for the LA shoot too. And she brought a bunch of her people and it was just, you know, it just makes it, it makes it, like you said, working with a good crew, it changes the game and being willing to, I think what I learned really from this experience was just asking people can take you farther than you could imagine. Like we, you know, we shot in the Van Gogh museum because we asked them, we just asked them and they said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I know it, that was great. That was the craziest one. That was like, they opened it up early for us and everything. And like, I mean, you know, the, production value of our piece let alone the experience of shooting in this internationally renowned museum like we just asked them it's incredible <laughs> oh man that's yeah that's great like um do you have any kind of uh like rituals kind of things that you do to build chemistry with the crew that you're working with let's see I mean we had a big we had a big dinner before both shoots um we had like a, a team dinner in Amsterdam before the shoot and um we had one in LA too but more so because like because you don't want to infringe on people's time outside of the working hours we just try to bring a good vibe to every day and you know, it was Ingrid's birthday um, turned, uh, at, on the last day of our Los Angeles shoot. So we like we had our wrap party at our last location and we had a cake for her. And, you know, it's just like it's stuff. Like, and she said she was like, oh, my gosh, no one's ever done. No one has ever gotten me a cake on set. And I was like, huh. of course, of course, of course, of course, because it's just, you know, and we got like it was Dylan's birthday towards the end of the um, the Amsterdam shoot so we had like a like drinks with all of the crew and it's just I, I wish you know I, I I always I always wish that there was more we could do of course you know like more time bonding things and I wish that we weren't so strapped for for time to not allow that kind of community build but I think that you know you just do the best you can with the limited time you're offered and go out of your way a little bit to show people that you're like you know you're you're a part of this and you you made this for us yeah. mm. um, no that's really nice yeah. yeah and i guess it's you know it, it's doing those there's 
buying a cake for someone just seems like a simple thing right totally. you just think of course you would do that but the fact that like she's like no one's done that i think just those little gestures that seem kind of just like well obviously but can mean so much to someone like that helps create like this community because we see it with certain people you know like Jada Tao, like Adam Sandler, you know, what I mean? there's certain directors that have people that always go back to work with them. And you just imagine it's because there must be this, this great vibe on set, this great, you know, community that gets built. And I think it's just those little gestures and the things that you're doing that helps create that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, that's something that also comes with you know coming like being a director it's it's you're not just there for the project you're there for the you you are kind of the vessel of serving the project in all that it requires there's a certain degree of like it's not just about the project it's about all the people that make the project and knowing that and trying to internalize that. And that's definitely something that I hope to continue to grow into um, uh, as I continue my creative career. Mm. Like, did you know that going in? Like, had anyone, like, spoken to you about that aspect of it? Or were you just looking at it as, okay, a director does this and this? Well, I have been on set before um, producing short films. And, you know, I knew... I knew what worked and I, you know, I had listened to a lot of like podcasts from directors I really admired. And so I, I could hear when they talked about their work, they weren't just talking about the work. They were talking about kind of the holistic aspects of it that we're talking about now. Just like, it's not, it's not just one thing, not one person makes any project. And like, I, I think that, had anyone told me specifically? No, not really. But I think I had some pretty strong opinions, some pretty strong, like philosophical feelings about it prior. And, you know, I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm sure I wasn't perfect. You know, none of us are, but I'd like to think that I'd like to think that everyone had fun. And I think, you know, I think that the, the, the quality of the work speaks for itself. Like I, I, I think that to some extent, any successful story, you, it, it's not a success unless, unless the set was somewhat mm. well run. Um, I, I think also like for me, it's just collaboration. Like I, I would be nowhere without collaboration, you know, like I, like I am entirely a product of other people over opening doors for me and being like, you would be good at this, do this with me. You know, and I always say to Simon, like the reason why we're able to co-create and co-direct and co-write is because um, together we can do so much more than apart. Mm. Um, and I think that's, you know, it, it's so true, even working in other projects with other people, like it's together so much more can be done because you just, you know, as humans, we just need to bounce off other people to kind of build yeah i mean you know it's the i mean the building block of any strong relationship 
right? And regardless of the type of relationship, if you go in with that attitude, so much can be done. But I think a lot of times people want to be the star of something, right? They want to be the, the last voice on this thing, right? And which then can stifle the process. So it's just, uh, you know, I, I think it's always good to hear people have these kind of mindsets so early into things, right? Because, I mean, you can definitely have a false perception of things or just that crazy bravado of I can do anything. But like knowing that, you know, to get the best out of anything, it's a collaboration. I think that's really, you know, going to set you just to great heights, really. And just just on this work alone, you know, I think you're doing all right. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, I, I really I have to thank to, for that. Um, the Karen Twins boys, Dylan and Brian, they have been collaborating since they were children. So they know about they really do such a good job of finding the strengths in everyone and seeing everyone as an asset. Because I think that sometimes on a film set, things can get so stressful that people are so so keen to be like, nope, they're useless, go away. But no one is useless. Everyone is an asset. Everyone has something to offer. It's just about finding what exactly it is. And it might not be what you initially thought it would be, which can be frustrating, but it's, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, pivot. How can they, how can they better serve? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're, those two boys are, um, excuse me, men are extremely good at that, at that, <laughs> at that ability. They're so strong at bringing together people. Oh, that's great. No. Yeah. That's great. Like, one thing before, because um, I realize I've been talking to you for ages, which I appreciate. But um, one, like one thing I'm always curious about, right, was when you think about all the stuff that's already out there that deals with relationships, you know, regardless of whether it's long distance or just in a certain place. You know, we've got I remember there's a great series called Love Sick. Um, I love that series. Oh my god. I love it. Oh my god, Dylan and I are going to be so happy that you mentioned that Dylan and I like pulled heavily from that series. We oh, love so that. So great. Oh, it yeah. is so They're and I'm huge so pissed that we haven't had the next one. I know. Me too cuz you know, it ends and they're together and I'm like, yeah, but what if they're not good together? Yes. What if this whole time they weren't good together? Yeah. Like, I there's so much more to be explored shivers i every time i every you know the first name of that the series was scrotal recall yes when it was on channel four that's what it was and i was I just like that's amusing but how many kind of and especially the way they kind of framed the episodes and it's like that recall to this and blah 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 so mm -hmm. but then when netflix picked it up i was they're like, like cut it <laughs> and then i said like Oh, yeah, I guess. I guess they didn't really think they could market Scrotal Reef. Scrotal <laughs> But I love that. Like, you know, I love that these, like, these, um, like, indie filmmakers were like, we're naming our show Scrotal Recall. <laughs> That's what it is. That's we, and we're saying it with our chest. And, like, and Netflix was like, no. No, absolutely not. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I love that show. 
I love that oh, show man. so much. So many people don't know that show. I know and it's crazy. It, I'm like, that is so good. It's like yeah, so much better than so much of the other stuff that's out there. It's it, a, I, it's like such a good rom com, you know. Mm, and I think it deals with relationships in a natural like there's certain things that deal with relationships well like Link, Richard Linklater's before trilogy I mm-hmm. love that so much oh you're really just saying all of our references we of course <laughs> had the before trilogy as a huge reference point for us as well okay yes anything else, anything else you love <laughs> um oh man there's so many different things like there was this black and white film called in search of a midnight kiss Oh, I haven't heard I of that really one. really enjoyed. Yeah, it's, um, I believe if you saw Monsters, um, the uh, Gareth Edwards film, his feature debut that he made, but using a Mac, right? There's a film called Monsters, which is really, really good. Okay. And I think the lead character he had in that was then in, in search of a midnight kiss and it's like just this couple walking around on new year's eve a kind of just like exploring relationships and how they could be together and what they're looking for and what's the end goal and you know this whole thing kind of thing which oh, is wow i yeah, love that it I, is it's really nice oh that sounds really good okay i'm gonna I'll write that down <laughs> um yeah yeah so like with all of these things you know you've got garden stay eternal sunshine you know just think of all of these different shows and things like was that a you know a a, a thing where you're thinking about creating you know this show and you're like okay I don't want to be like that or I want to be of the same level as this. I want it to have the same kind of resonance of something like, you know, scrote or recall, right? I want to have that same honesty, but with that same humor, like, does that, how does that work for you? Is it a hindrance? Is it an aspiration? Or do you not really try and think about that and just go, no, I'm just creating this and it's going to be, you know, the best thing I can do. Yeah, I think in terms of um, Simon and I definitely in the writing, we definitely watched a ton. We watched a ton of kind of these references. Like we watched a ton of, um, you know, Girls, Insecure, the Before Trilogy, Normal People, Lovesick, um, uh, um, You Are the Worst. That was another one. Um, um and I just like for for us, I think in striking a tone, it wasn't as important because we uh, we write in our own tone, I guess. Mm. And and I think our voice um, sings pretty strongly on the page and and in, on the screen. And and we weren't really trying to do the kind of comedy or the kind of romance that we had seen before. Um, because we, because I, I guess I'm of the point that like life is only a little, life, life is pretty funny, but it's not so ha 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 funny mm. all the time. Yes. And, um, like life is pretty and ro- relationships are pretty romantic, but they're not so romantic all the time. And, and, you know, just again, that kind of like seeing 
seeing both sides of what things could be. And I think, um, so we didn't ever try to adhere too strongly to, okay, this is a comedy web series. That was actually important to us to delineate from that because I think something that our show brings to the table is we are, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever seen Scam. Um, it's a European show about teenagers who are in love. And <laughs> it's kind of this, I remember I watched it when I was in college and it was like short episodes and each one was kind of serious. And I was all, I was just like, these aren't really television episodes. They're shorter than that. And I remember I was like, oh my gosh, like I want to make something like that. I want to make something a little more bite-sized that is a little more consumable, um, holds your attention for the time that it has you, but doesn't ask too much of the viewership and in doing so doesn't, doesn't push any genre more than what is within the writer's purview. Um, because I think both of us, Simon and I both really aren't genre writers. Um, but having this huge canon of incredible series and movies and books to pull from really offered us just this kind of like grounding, like we are in, even though we are different, even though we are singular, we are in the tradition of some of these things, or like we are exploring these concepts that these other shows have explored or, taking this humanness from and and this comedy and you know pulling that way mm. no i like that right because i i think sometimes things get too caught in the the trope right going oh we have to be a comedy when it's just like well i mean just tell the story right it, it's something i really liked about blade because there was humor in blade but it wasn't trying to be <laughs> all every five seconds. And I'm just like, yeah, because that's how things are. You can have a serious conversation with someone, but then at one point you're laughing and then it's serious again. Right. Yeah. And that can be life. Right. So it's being able to create things where it's not confined in a box it's not like well this has to be you know sci-fi or this has to be comedy or horror but it can just be wherever the story takes it for that moment in time right that's what's yeah. really compelling so I think watching yours it it's yeah the humor didn't feel like it was forced and then you've got these serious moments and everything like that and it worked really well I could definitely see a girl's kind of there was a bit in it I forget which episode which did remind me of girls but girls frustrated me I couldn't I ducked out early on that show um, so I'm still with you so yeah <laughs> we're all good well I think yeah I think you Brits are really good at that in television too like I think that like that serious matching with the comedy I I love your TV. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the episode count, right? Because, you know, a typical show back in the day in the States was like 22 episodes, 24 episodes. But over here, it's like six episodes. So you don't have to create those filler episodes, right? Yeah. The story can be real sharp and concise, which I think was the big thing like about something like the office the u.s office and the uk office like that difference between because gervais was just like two episodes 
that's all it two two series is is what it needs and we'll do a christmas special that's it we'll yeah. go out at this point rather than run and run and run until people are then bored of it no i mean that's i definitely i think that i don't think that that i know that it um like serves marketability or whatever but i don't think that that serves the characters and in not serving the characters you're you're robbing the audience Mm. you know like you like you i don't know i think you always have to be a vehicle for story first and not all these other considerations like you know marketing and and um the ability to sell and stuff but what do i know my my web series is on youtube so <laughs> ah, but, right we i think we've seen i think in recent times and especially during the pandemic right that certain things get get so much traction on youtube you mm-hmm. know a load of comedians like ari shafir shane gillis you know dan soda big j okerson so many people they've dropped their comedy specials on youtube and the numbers are insane mm-hmm. right and i think because it's a free platform, so anyone can discover it. Anyone can come to it. Like, you know, there's the amount of times, you know, you must find someone's like, oh, have you seen this show? And you're like, no. Oh, shit, I'll check it out. Where is it? And they're like, oh, it's on blah, blah. And it's like, oh, I don't have that platform. Right? And I don't yeah. really want to pay for it just to watch this show. Or, yeah. you know what I mean? So then it's just like, you don't watch a show or you watch a show when you go to someone's house or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when it's on YouTube, if I tell you, hey, play it by ear, man, you need to check that shit out, then they'll be like, oh, where is it? YouTube. They're like, awesome. I'll, Perfect. I'll yeah. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I think that's the great thing about having something on YouTube is it gives you the opportunity to get even more eyes on it, even and worldwide as well. There's no... You know what I mean? There's like over here, we get Hulu stuff on a thing called Stars on Disney Plus. Yeah. Right. But there's shows that we don't get. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when it's on YouTube, doesn't matter. We can watch it, we can ingest it. Yeah, I think like, you know, because we are, because we we want this to be a global series, right? Like, you know, a good quarter of it is in Dutch. So it's important to us that we have a global, the ability to be seen globally. And so just the democratization of releasing for free for, for us anyway, was just kind of obvious because, and also, you know, again, I'm not HBO. I'm not, you know, like, like I'm, I'm just trying to get people to see my stuff. So like where, where do they get to see it? Do they get to see it? Uh, like, you know, if I hold on to it until somebody decides to distribute or if I, you know, get like 26K views on my trailer, which I did, which we <laughs> did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I think that that, I don't know, for me, that's just kind of a you know I could see if we had the opportunity to make season two and there was someone who wanted to host the season I could see it not being on YouTube but at the same time I'm you know I'm I'm I make art so that it can be seen not so that it can be 
sold. Mm-hmm. So, you know, get give someone the the first view rights and mm-hmm. then you'd be like, all right, at this point, then it goes on YouTube. You know yeah, what I mean? Maybe that's a good idea. Mm. Yeah, like yeah, some play by ear. Play by ear. Take the check. Yeah, I'm gonna follow the money, but, of course. Just, yeah, just right into it that you know you're able. You always keep keep ownership, and at some point you can put it out for everyone to watch on YouTube. I guess. Yeah, I guess I'll just play it by ear. <laughs> i mean that i mean obviously i've got so many more questions but i think that could be a perfect way for us to pull the curtain on this unless um you've got anything else that you'd like to uh throw out there um i guess the last thing that i'll say is that episodes one through three are available now on youtube at karen twins productions and episodes four through six come out june 21st also on youtube at karen Twins productions and if anyone's listening we will be having our in-person premiere at the dances with films festival in los angeles on june 24th at 11 a.m at the chinese theater nice and how can people get tickets for that one um, well, that's a good question. I think that the best way to find all of these links is to follow uh, Karen Twins Productions on Instagram at, uh, I think it's just Karen Twins. Let me confirm that. Okay. We'll and... put all the information in the, on the website. So people go check out the links, make sure you follow and definitely make sure you check out and subscribe because you know you will get to the end of episode three and be furious emily that episode four isn't there so you'll want to make (laughs) sure that you subscribe so you get alerted when it does drop yes please (laughs) and um how can people demand episode series two oh my gosh how can people demand series two Mm. um call your local councilman no just (laughs) um Honestly, if anyone knows anyone who has money that they want to give to some filmmakers to make a season two, or if anybody's dad works at um, Hulu or Netflix, give me a ring. I'm available <laughs> to speak with all Nepo children. Uh, <laughs> Are you, um, have you thought about kickstarting or? That's what we like did. That? Yeah, that's what we did for our first um, season. We had a successful Seed and Spark campaign. And I think that we all just kind of want to take that next step towards um, towards kind of finding financing outside of our immediate, you know, our, our more immediate circle. Mm. Um, but I think that's just the challenge of indie filmmaking. It's kind of just trying to find someone who knows someone who is interested in backing a series or trying to find someone who knows someone who wants to get into film investment. Um, it's a great investment, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the good fight. And we'll just keep fighting it until there's a season two. Mm. Well, I think, you know, and again, having it on YouTube, I think that helps, yeah. right? Is now anyone can go look at it. You've got proof of concept. 
you know, you can show people the viewership, right? So I think, you know, that's definitely going to be a big boon in getting you season two, three, four, and five. So, yeah, six seasons in a movie. So, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and a Christmas special. Oh, yeah. You definitely need the Christmas special. Mm -hmm, of course. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh man this has been great i really appreciate you uh giving me your time thank you yeah thank you so much for spending the time this has been a lovely conversation thank you uh, for having me hey it's my pleasure my pleasure so yeah really ap always appreciate aj you know hooking me up with people like yourselves because it always turns out to be really insightful and you know just everyone has a different approach to creating things and it's always fascinating hearing how people go about it you know and oh, yeah. getting to talk about the stuff that they've created and put so much work into yeah thank you yeah it's um i love this I love this. I love talking about the stuff I make. <laughs> you know, yeah, I love to I love to just discuss that whole process because it has been such a big part of my life for so long now. And I hope it continues to be such a big part of my life. And, you know, thank you for having this platform to speak to um, indie creators. It's, you know, it's incredible. I love what you're doing as well. Ah, thank you. No worries at all. And, hey, you definitely have to come back to... Um talk about future projects and even come back to it and we can talk about the last three episodes you know or we'll do an episode and we'll talk about rom-coms oh my gosh that would yeah. be so fun yeah, yeah bring simon and we'll just get into it <sighs> yeah oh my gosh i have simon right here that'd be great that would be really good i'd love that awesome all right well yeah people go follow emmy go follow karen twins go check out play it by ear you if, if you like things like scrotal recall lovesick the before trilogy right if you like good storytelling you won't be disappointed so yeah go do it make your day thanks <laughs> thanks thoroughly appreciate the time you take care me too all right bye bye so there you have it, people. Play it by ear. It, boy, trust me, you will not be let down. Go check it out right now. And, hey, how great was Emily? You know what I mean? If just her talking about this, right, the passion that she showed, right, her, her kind of understanding of the genre, if that's not enough, I don't know what is, people. Emily was great. It was an incredible conversation. So go to the website. All the links are there. You can follow her. All the links, like the Karen Twins website. You know what I mean? YouTube. So if you've missed it, you can go check it out, right? And mark down on the calendar the 21st of June. That's when four, five, and six drop, and you do not, people trust, you do not want to miss those, so that's us, we'll be back soon, alright, peace.